This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you been struggling lately? Maybe you're having trouble sleeping, difficulty with the relationship, or just suffering from low self-esteem. If so, then BetterHelp wants to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and to help you. You get to talk to your therapist in a private, online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000-plus therapist network, and they give you access to help that may not be available in your area. You just need to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Join the 2 million-plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. And there's a special offer to Nowhere to Be Found listeners. You'll get 10% off of your first month, but only if you go through the link or type in betterhelp.com slash ntbf for Nowhere to Be Found. That's better betterhelp.com slash ntbf. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. And you can find the link in our show notes and on our website, NowhereToBeFoundPodcast.com. Previously on Nowhere To Be Found. I think of all the questions that I get asked all the time. The one that I find the most difficult uh, to answer is sometimes, tell me who Ryan was. So how do you describe a life that is so ordinary that people really care to hear about? He didn't cause a lot of chaos in the house. He was just, he was really, he talked a lot, which I suppose, given my nature, is probably not so far off. Uh, We never had to worry about curfews and stuff like that. He never really gave us any cause for concern in his teenage years. And so I just remember looking at his face and he's like, well, I was thinking about going um, and doing a season, a winter season in a ski resort. And I just said to him, I said, well, tell me more. Amanda Papineau, and this is Nowhere to be Found. I loved hearing about Ryan's life growing up. It helped remind me and others how normal he and his family are. It also shows me how one moment can change everything. Retelling the details surrounding Ryan's disappearance and what the Stukas did to handle it, I know is not easy. Imagine people asking you over and over to relive the worst moments of your life, and then asking you to piece together events of which you were not present for. Sounds terrible. But Heather does it with astonishing poise and grace. We're going to dive into the second half of our interview, where she walks me through getting the awful news that Ryan was missing, and what they did in the days following. The information that the family's been able to piece together from Ryan's friends is crucial, as they're the only witnesses that we have at this point. So in my mind, I I read a lot faster than I'm going to be ever able to verbalize it. Right. So I'm reading it, and then I get to a certain point where I'm like, okay, this isn't a a thing that, hey, we're going out, look at Ryan, he fell in the snow or, or something along that. Like it's taken a very dark turn immediately. Mm-hmm. And so then I'm like, Scott, and Scott's in the kitchen. I'm like, 
and I'm trying to read it, but I can't get the words out fast enough. So my, I've already read through the whole text, but I'm nowhere near having been able to say it. And Scott goes, I, I don't understand what you're saying. Slow down. And so I, I'm like, I don't know if I can read that again. And so I just gave him the phone. And so Scott read it and he's looking at me, he goes, I don't, what does that mean? I'm like, I don't know. He goes, get on the phone and, and call him. And so Scott immediately finds the number for the RCMP for um, Kamloops, the Royal Detachment, yeah. and called them. And then I am talking to James and I really got very little out of that conversation. I didn't, I still didn't understand so I didn't really get a sense of what he was talking about. So when he said, like, we went to this party and then um, he should have just walked home and he didn't and he's not home. And I'm like, well, like, is it a road? Because I'm trying to think of where I live. Like, if I was at one place, I just have to walk down the street. Like, well, right. what how do you mean? far how someone get lost? Right. How far? What's the distance? Why would somebody walk down and go on a road and not make it home? None of it made sense to me. And I'm like, so what are you guys doing? Are you, have you been out? Like, have you walked these paths? Have you gone? Like, and he's like, yeah, we're going out. We've, we've contacted people. And I was like, okay. And I really wasn't going to get more out of him. I don't even know if I knew the questions to ask. All I know is that Ryan didn't come home and I had no idea of the location. I, I couldn't tell you the, the environment and your worst nightmare is now placed before you. Right. And you're just kind of going, I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know how to process this. And I don't have the questions I need to ask him. And I, I don't want to keep him on the phone. And Scott at that time was talking to the RCMP officer and st- getting a sense of logistically what was being done. So at that time they had uh, sent up a squad car and they had uh, interviewing some of the people they were going to start doing that. And then they also brought the canine unit up. Okay. So they had a couple of dogs and their handlers out Um walking along these paths. And so at that time, Scott said, well, do you think we should come again? Maybe that's, maybe that's a silly question to ask somebody, but we're nine and a half hours away. And you have a, a, a a young man that has always been responsible, has always had great intentions, has always been great at communicating. We, nothing that would really give you some red flags of anything and so you're just thinking, okay, well, maybe I, I think you'd just jump to whatever might seem logical. Like, did he go some to some some girl's house and pass out? Did he go right. to another party and pass out and just miss work? Even though all of that sounds in, like implausible, but you just think maybe, maybe that it has to be because it, if those things that can happen, then the worst has not come true. Right, right. But so Scott asked him, he said, uh, do you think we should come up? He goes, well, I, I can't tell you folks, but. He goes, I, you know, I, I would probably come. And so I think at that point, we recognized that, um, that so much time had passed. Uh, and given what they already knew, uh, that Ryan was most likely not passed out in someone's house. Right. So um, Scott goes, okay, we're, we're leaving now. And so I just remember walking around with the girls uh, and... Again, you know, if you had to ask me, would I have had these open conversations with my daughters at that time? Because you have a 17-year-old and you have a 12-year-old. I didn't know that this conversation was going to happen. And so perhaps if I had known, I I might have cushioned it. I Mm -hmm. might have protected them a little bit differently. But I was, we were so shocked. You were in shock, yeah. Shocked. 
and the girls were there because we're all in the living room together. So you, you don't think of shielding them at that time. Right. And so I just remember uh, Juliana just kind of looks and both of my girls, uh, you know, I don't, I honestly, sometimes I don't know where they get it from this pillar of strength that I think that they come in this resolve that comes from this and this calmness. So Juliana's just kind of, you, you know, she's like mom and Jordan's already upstairs. So Jordan's upstairs. She's got a, a suitcase or a bag. And she's just putting stuff in. She goes, mom, how many, how many days? And I'm like, I don't know. How many, how many days do you think I would be? I don't, I don't know. And I just kept, I don't know what I would need. What would I, what would I need to go there? Do I, what am, what am I bringing? And I just kind of, I'm going through, it was probably a bit of my breaking point. I think at that point it was, it was this, this breaking point. And then I look at the girls and seeing them as Jordan is putting toiletries and clothes and sweaters and then Juliana's trying to keep it together and I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, I, I am not going to be able to fall apart today. Not today. Not today. So I'm going to have to put that steel back in my spine and I'm going to have to lift it and I'm going to have to stand up straight. And I don't, I, sometimes I even wonder how we've done that where we could stand up and you just sort of straighten your back and square your shoulders. And you're like, thank you. Okay. Um, so girls, uh, this is what's going to happen. I don't know how long we're going to be gone for, but you know, we're going to find out whatever we need to find out. And, and, you know, your brother, he's really smart and, and, and he's savvy and he's, he's been outside before. And so, you know what, if, if there's an opportunity for Ryan to be where he's supposed to be, we're, we're going to go up and find him. And, and so the girls were like, no problem. Well, maybe not no problem, but you know what I mean? Like they were just, yep we hear you and and maybe they could hear the lie or maybe they were just um uh ready to to have somebody say that things it's gonna be were okay. probably going to it's going to be okay and so um we packed Scott and I packed up the truck and left that night and drove nine and a half hours away and you you look back on that that trip and it's the longest and the shortest i think we'd ever been through like it, and every mile that we passed it got colder and colder because bc tends to have nicer weather than alberta okay so traditionally milder winters um and so if we're minus 20 something here they could be sitting at like minus five. Oh, and so all the time i'm going i'm praying that that the weather holds there that it, it's nice weather because if it's nicer weather my son, who is most likely out in the snow, is going to be able to survive. And every mile you drive, you see the weather, the temperature sinking lower and lower and lower. And you're just, you know, I'm pleading and I'm begging, you know, whatever it is. Like, I will be a better person. I, I've not been the best I can be. I've not been a great mother. I've not been a great wife. I've not been a great friend. I've not been a great person. All of those things, I will change every single one of them. I will burn what I need to burn in order to come out of this as long as you don't take my son. Yeah, bargain. And you, and you think, right, you bargain. Mm -hmm. You think this couldn't happen. This can't be happening to us. And I find that ironic now because, you know, when you, you ask me, my, my firm belief is that this did not happen to Scott and I. We, we feel the residuals. We certainly are suffering the loss. Sure. But that night happened to Ryan. Right. Right. And 
And so I don't want the pity for Scott. Everybody has loss. They suffer a loss, some more, some less, but it's all loss and they're all incomparable. So we saw, you know, sort of an, an idea of where, you know, obviously Ryan was living at that time. Uh, they told us, they walked us through what they knew about the evening before. And then we went to the fire hall to meet with the canine unit had come up again bright and early. And we were just waiting for search and rescue to show up when, when um, they were, I think, mobilized where they were, but they were coming up to the mountain when it became light out. And at that time, it still wasn't light enough for them. So according to James and the other roommates, what, what was the story you were getting? Yes, he was at a party, but what, um, were there, were there more details than that? So how, how the evening has unfolded. And, and again, sometimes I, I wonder if, if I've missed pieces and I I don't quite get it. So this is what I remember Mm -hmm. to be the truth that they had told me and some pieces. So Ryan works at the ski resort. He is working the tube time. So he's a tube time operator and his hours of work are usually at either 11 or 1130 to 730. Okay. So he works. It's Friday. He gets paid. So during his work, um, he goes uh, and he always has lunch at the annex, which is sort of a cafeteria style. He always has his poutine for lunch, has his poutine and he goes to take out money. Because my son, if anything, was really stingy with his cash. So he went to the bank machine to take out enough cash that would lead him if he was going out Friday and Saturday night because he did not like to use his debit card. He didn't want to use credit cards. He won't use debit cards. He wants to pay for cash if he's going to buy drinks that way. He knows how much he's spent and he doesn't overspend. Mm, smart. Which, smart. It's not something I would have done, but but it is smart. Uh, so he paid his, he went online and did his online billing, paid his rent, paid his bills, uh, his credit card bill and his uh, car loan, as well as his, um, uh, I think his, uh, what, oh, and uh, cell phone. So all of those things he paid that day, took out his money, finished up his day. And then as he was leaving, he, uh, one of his friends from Australia was not feeling well and had asked him if he could get a ride home because Ryan had a car. A lot of people up in Sun Peaks, the seasonal workers don't always have vehicles because they come internationally. Okay. So they come to work in the ski resorts. They come from a plane and get the shuttle buses up and they don't really uh, need a vehicle. They certainly don't do it if they're only here for a season or two. Sure. So a lot of them don't have vehicles, which is neither here nor there. They all walk around their shuttles uh, that will go at certain times uh, throughout um, the village, as well as they have Facebook sites that people can say, Hey, you know, I'm just needing a ride down to Kamloops, which is 45 minutes away. It's the city to go get groceries, that sort of thing. So they always put it on. There's always somebody, uh, that's looking for a car ride or sharing a ride somewhere Okay. and people respond to it. Ryan had a car and this, uh, his friend was not feeling well. So they stopped at the market that's there, got whatever he needed because he wasn't feeling well. And then he drove, um, him to, the uh, student or the staff accommodations, which is really right across from where Ryan was living up the hill, just but right across the street. Okay. So Ryan had to James at that time said, Hey, I'm on my way home. He got home. I I almost think he must've been in a bit of a rush because 
he didn't hang he didn't hang up his car keys. He left them in his car pocket, his coat pocket. And then he went in and I don't know if he showered or whatever, quickly did it, came out. They they uh, chugged a couple beers because they wanted to get up to back up to the village to go to the silent disco that was at one of the, the local bars there. Okay. So the silent disco is essentially you walk in, you give them your driver's license, they give you some headphones. I think there's one or two channels and they play different music. So the entire bar, bar is silent. Inside your head is the music. Wow, that's interesting. I've never been to a great, yeah, I, I heard it's, it's, it's supposed to be quite fun, I suppose. So they, when they went up there again, it's quite cold. They got a, a ride. So one of the other ways that you can get around in Sun Peaks at that time is that people would volunteer. So they would, it's almost like their own version of Uber or Lyft. So they were looking to make some money and they would, um, uh, they would take people up and they would be paid by donations. Okay. So they had somebody drive them up that wasn't drinking, wasn't planning on going out and was going to make a little extra money for taking. So I think they paid them 10 bucks a header to go up. And that's a nice little chunk team for a five minute drive. Yeah. So they got up there and the bar that they wanted to go into was lined up and it was cold. So they went right across um, in the same village because there's no roads. It's a, it's a walking village. So they went right across and had a drink at the neighboring bar until they saw that there was no lineup. And then they went across to the bar that they wanted to. They stayed there all night. No problems. There was videos inside um, the bar. And as well as they had photographers, professional photographers that were taking pictures. And that was the actual last picture that we have of Ryan uh, that night when he was standing there with one of his friends uh, having a beer in his hand. And, and you know... He looked, well, the, the, the smile on his face, um, really, if, if I had to look at one last picture, I suppose, of my son that evening, that's probably a good testament to, to um, how much joy he found in some peaks and with the people he, he was with. So they spent the night there, turned in their headphones, got their driver's license back, and then came out to walk home. Okay. And as they were walking back, there's about 14 of them all walking in the same direction because really the way Sun Peaks works is that the the lower part of the village um, usually has most of your staff at comms. So they'll have housing, but the, they do have a lot of duplexes, which have them made basement suites, uh, staff accommodations down there. So that's where most of your staff accommodations will, will be where your, your staff will live up higher past the village, a lot more nicer homes, more expensive homes, but they don't really um, have a lot of renters in there coming okay. through seasonally. Okay. So they're walking down there. It's a good 20 minute walk. It's freezing out. And I think one of the last uh, shuttle buses that came up from Kamloops to drop off airline passengers was heading down and was nice enough to pick a whole group of people up. that were all going in the same direction. They dropped them off just outside by the fire hall, by the staff accommodations, by Ryan's house. And Ryan and some of the, the friends decided that we're going to walk down a road and then walk down Burfield to go uh, to a house that had, uh, that, there's three houses on this street that tended to have gatherings. Like oh, we always say the party house because it's just easier to say. It's all semantics, I suppose. But they'd, um, there was three houses that they would go and they would rotate when they were going. And a lot of them, if they were done something or having a quiet evening, they would go hang out amongst one another's. But those are the only ones 
that were like, they're, they're all filled with locals, people that okay. lived or worked on and seasonally. So you don't, everybody sort of knew somebody that was at these gatherings or parties that they would have off and on. They would knew somebody or knew who that person was from somebody else. They may not know him personally. Okay. So they, they weren't, um, huge. Well, I mean, so I suppose some of them would be huge parties at some point, but this particular one that night was just, they didn't want to go home. They, they headed over to this, uh, one house that we call the Sunday fun day house <laughs> and, uh, just went in and it is a duplex, but it's also, it's, it's got a basement suite as well. So <laughs> they just have the main level. And then I think it has, um, an upper area that has an upper bedroom. And the people that were up, the roommates that were upstairs, they had to work the next day. So they didn't really want a lot of people came in to come in. And so they, they actually went down at some point, I think about two o'clock and told everybody to get out. They had to work the next day. So the only people that were left in that house by two thirty would have been people that intimately they would have known, right. They wouldn't have been strangers or anything else. Like right. somebody that was a lifty that they didn't quite meet. So Ryan and his friends went in there and they stayed in the living room. That's where they were the entire time that they were there. So there was nine of them there with Ryan included. James got up at some point and said, you know, I'm, I'm going to head home. And so he walked out the door and turned left and, and walked the, it's not a, it's not a long walk. The, the dis- difference between the two, they'd actually be a five minute walk across the gully, but it's all full of snow most people wouldn't go that way. It's full snow and, and there's a creek running between it. But really, you could, in the summer months uh, and in fall, you could look from behind the house and see where Ryan's house at that time was. Okay. So it wasn't a long distance. It's just a bit of a longer walk when you have to walk the end of the road down, cross the bridge, and then on the path to go up to his house. It's a little bit longer, but they would have would have done it anyway. So James goes home first. And then makes it home. Some of his roommates are still up when he gets home. He goes to bed. And then um, his other roommates, Chris and Kristen, uh, they were a couple. And so they got up with another uh, friend that either lived at staff accommodations or lived further down on Birdfield. They got up and said, hey, Ryan, we're, we're heading out too. Now, at this point, my understanding is, is that Ryan really stayed close. Like you would think that he would have gone there to to party and, and he did for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, from all accounts and purposes, it seemed like he was really close to his roommates that he was there with and James. So if his roommates didn't go out one night, if they were content on staying in, then Ryan stayed in too. He wasn't so into that whole party scene that he was going to go off by himself, which is very much true to what his friends here would know him to be. Okay. So Ryan is, is, is quite funny and sarcastic. Um, but he is introspective. He's almost like he sits back to see what's happening before he engages. That's always what he's done with strangers, with his friends. Certainly I'm, you know, I'm sure he's, he's quite funny and, and joking. Um, but he didn't do that out in crowds if he didn't know that. So if his friends didn't go out and he didn't know who was going to be there, he was not the one to say, well, I'm sure I'll see somebody that I know. He would be like, no, I don't, I, you guys are staying at home. I'm okay with staying at home too. But when they go to leave, he does not get up and go with them. Well, what Chris and Kristen said is that he stood up to, to go and it looked like he was putting on his coat. 
So in their mind, he was still with the other, the other friends that were there in his, their mind. He was, he was on his way following them. So they go out and it is freezing out that night. It was minus 26. So they walk. And I think what people forget too, or maybe they don't recognize is that there's no sidewalks necessarily on this road. Mm -hmm. And the snow had fallen so much. It was between eight to 14 feet of snow uh, had come, but then they're all piled up because they need street parking. Every house is a quadplex, right? So they need they need street parking. They don't have enough driveways. Okay. So a lot of cars are parked on the street and you've got these big, massive mounds of snow. So visibility is really bad on that street. There is no uh, lights, street lights. There's only sensor lights from some houses. Hmm. So it's dark. There's a lot of snow and there's vehicles. So you're, it's not like you can look and you're saying, oh, I looked behind and it was a clear field. And of course I could see him coming or I could see him not coming. Right, right. There's so many obstacles in your way that you wouldn't necessarily uh, know. So they get up and walk home, the three of them. And at some point they just sort of turned around to see if Brian was there because he was awfully quiet apparently and turned around and he wasn't. So in, in their mind, and and rightly so in, in my opinion, is that... Um, Minus 26, either Ryan's decided to stay or he's catching up, but he's almost 21 years old. They don't need to walk him home. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be. And people walk there all the time. That's how they get from one place to the other. Right. He's a grown man. He, he can walk himself home. Male fever. Right. And, and I think people forget this. People always want to turn that back into, well, they should have stayed. Yes. If he was 14 and they were in a rural place and they were so far away and uh, they were going from one place to another. Yes, I would expect people to stay together. Uh, I, I've never expected and I've never placed uh, judgment on them continuing to walk home. So it, it, they just thought he came home and then they went to their rooms. But of course, the roommates don't know that they're supposed to be looking for anything. Right. And so the next day, um, when they got up, they got a, a text from Ryan's boss who said, is uh, is Ryan coming in today? Like we were really going to need him. And that was because Ryan tend to be like three or five minutes late every single day for his, his job. Cause he would take, he'd go, uh, for, uh, snowboarding every single day. So he'd get up and do the first run and he'd do a couple runs and then he would get there and he'd just take that last run down. And so sometimes he'd be on time, but sometimes he'd be two or three minutes late every single day. He'd be running in, throwing off his snowboard stuff as he about to do the, <laughs> his job for the day. Okay. And I'm like, you hear that and you're like, Oh my God, Ryan, like what that they, they didn't mind it. His, his manager loved him. She, she was going to give him uh, she offered him a raise and he's like, Ma, yeah, I don't want the extra responsibility for 75 cents an hour. So he was happy with that and they, they were fine with it, but, and he had never missed a day of work. So at this point she's like, okay, is he coming in today? Cause Next we, we need him. It's, right. it's a busy weekend. And so, um, is he there? And so they sort of looked around, but I mean, I'm probably did a cursory glance, like, you know, Ryan, you here? No, he's not here. And so they texted her back, but she didn't actually, uh, either receive or respond to it until, uh, seven o'clock at night. And then she sent a text back going, he didn't show up today. So at that point, that's when his roommates were going, well, that's completely out of ordinary. So and up to that point, me, they thought 
he, they must have thought he yeah, he course. showed up eventually, and that's why they didn't uh-huh. hear back is because he well, he yeah. showed up late. Okay, he showed up late. Okay, so they know, but I will tell you because people people always ask me. I will never tell you that I knew everything about my son. I mean, he was a grown adult. Right. Um, and so even during those ten- teenage years, like you give them space, but I'm not going to know, uh, you know, his innermost thoughts. I am, I, I don't even know if what mother would want to. Right. Young man. Yeah. Right. Right. So we're not going to know those. Um, you hope that you have an open communication, but there's some things that people keep personal and keep to themselves. And so, uh, you know, you, you, I know that. And so I, I know my memories that I tell about Ryan are based on our interactions. Of course. His friends will obviously have different um, memories and different interactions. But I will say that the very first people that were interviewed by the RCMP were his roommates that had known him for two and a half months. And then his uh, friends would come along uh, much later and they've known him since grade one. Right. And it's interesting because I'll have, I'll tell you what I think what I know to be true about Ryan and that really um, corresponds with what his friends from the time he was grade one, those are, it mirrors it to what they knew about him for two and a half months. So when they asked uh, the the roommates, they're like, you know, do you think he, he slept over at someone's house? Do you think he passed out? They were just so adamant at that time. They're like, no, that is completely out of character for him. He would never do that. He would never miss work. He would never go in, and stay, uh, he would never go over to like a girl's house and, and, uh, meet up with somebody and stay the night. He would, he would never miss work. He would never not respond to his texts. They knew that in two and a half months, which made them concerned mm-hmm. as his friends who heard it the first night that we were driving up and say, that is completely not like him. You better, are you going up? Because something's wrong. Right. Which is what he thought too. So they all were very synchronized. Um, in the way our thought process works. So they started calling around at the house, thought maybe he was still at the house. I, I don't know what they were thinking at this point. Finally, they called down to the hospitals to see if they could find, uh, if he maybe had gone down. Maybe there was drugs involved. They, I don't think they knew at that point, or maybe it was an accident or something, but they thought maybe he had been transferred down to uh, the hospitals down in Kamloops. So they, when they called and said he's been missing, we haven't heard from him. The, I think the hospitals at that point suggested that they called the RCMP, which is what they did. And then we were notified soon after that. Okay. And so back to that night, how, how intoxicated was he? Like, according to these friends, was this a few drinks in? I mean, he'd already gone to two, two different bars. What, where was he at? Right. Well, and that, that's, that's always the troubling part. Um, is that you're asking people that um, had been drinking and or doing drugs or a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Right? It's hard to say throughout the whole night when you're looking at interview statements. Mm-hmm. So you're asking somebody who is not clear-headed right. to give sure. you an impression of somebody else. And so, you know, depending on where it was, like, no, he, he seemed fine to know he seemed kind of out of it. Maybe there's somewhere in between. I know that... Ryan had that money when I had said earlier that he had taken out just enough for Saturday, Friday and Saturday night. Mm-hmm. He drank way more. He went through all of his money Friday night because he mentioned that to one of his friends that he had gone through whatever he had taken out. Now, I don't know oh, how much okay. he had taken out, but uh, obviously the police would know that. Um, 
but so I don't know how much he had spent at the bar, but in combination to that, we know that he had done MDMA, um, which I I did not know he had, that was something he had done. Um, So that sort of came as, as a surprise to me. How did you find that Uh, out? And they had, they, his, uh, James had said by the next day had told search and rescue uh, that he had taken. And so again, it's differing how many he had taken and, and I don't know what the effects are and I don't know how, how much normal people take. And I don't know what would be normal for that. Um, but I think he had more than one that night in combination with with whatever he was drinking. So, Hmm. and I think that again, that is always some of the things that, that, um, we struggle with only in the sense of, trying to get timelines down, trying to get, um, what was in his mind, right. the, the thought process. Um, all of that is so obscure to us because we don't know yeah. what he took. We don't How know much, if, was what that time. the only thing. Right. Right. We, we don't know any of those things and, um, what that would have done to him. What, what, what was his mood like when he mm-hmm. took it? Do you think he was Superman? You know what I mean? And what time was it? Yeah. Like, was he coming down from a drug? Was he still on a really high part and he was not ready to go home yet? I mean, all that would play a factor. Right. And we do not know the answers to that. So I, and I don't know if if we will. And I, and some of it, you just, I, it may not tell us the direction Ryan went into uh, what happened that particular night but understanding some of that may lend itself to you know again do you think you're superman and so you go further than you think even though the weather is really cold uh and you're not necessarily dressed appropriate for it so like does that change that does it make you depressive and so if you're missing home or you're missing an ex-girlfriend or you're missing, you know, uh, your friends or whatever it is, right. You're missing your Mm. opportunity. I don't like, I don't know what, what what would go through someone's mind if they took something, does it make you more depressive? Like those are the things that, um, understanding a state of mind may give you an idea of what he was processing and, and what that would look like. Yeah. And, you know, I, through doing this podcast, um, specifically, you know, um, talking with Michael Bryson's family. Um, I learned a lot about (laughs) the drug world that I did not know about. And MDMA was something that, um, came up that I, that I learned about. And one of the things I do know is that, um, it raises your body temperature and being cold is not really a problem for you if you are on MDMA, which is, would be interesting in Ryan's case because, you know, his guard may have been down to how harmful the weather could have been to, you know, it, right. minus 20 is I've never, I've never been in minus yeah. 20 in my life. No. Um, and so that's, um, you know, just one of those things that we won't really ever know for sure, but comes to mind is like, gosh, well, you know, he could have been feeling like, Oh, I don't need my jacket or, forgotten his jacket because he walked out and the sudden harshness of minus 20 didn't hit him. And, you know, a few drinks in because, you know, alcohol, I do know can do the same thing. You know, you're kind of numb to that. If you've, 
if you've had a couple too many, you're kind of numb to some of those um, normal body cues that we get. So um, yeah, just little details like that. I would be curious um, of the time yeah. of the timeline of that. And I don't know if um, James yeah, or asking, anybody would be able to yeah. tell us those things, but no, you're looking at asking drunk people to, exactly. you know, and, and I, and again, you know, maybe, maybe people would blame them or, or ha- feel there's some responsibility. I look at it and go, if you had told me ahead of time that I needed to remember a moment because it was going to have an impact exactly. 24 hours from now, I would remember exactly. it. However, nobody knows what's going to happen. So how much significance did they place on certain events? Exactly. Not realizing. So you're not paying attention. It's not because necessarily they didn't want to, or they didn't care. No. It just didn't, you know, full evening of night, you're having fun. You're not remembering some of the things that will play an important part later. Exactly. And that's exactly how, um, you know, witness statements. That's, that's exactly right. There's, there's no reason to remember those little details. So your brain does not do that. And especially if you're under the influence and it's late at night, give me a break Two, yep. two in the morning. I mean, who's, who's looking at, at these little details? Nobody, unless you know that you have to be. So I certainly don't put any blame right. um, on, on anybody for that. And I think that it would be unusual for them to remember a little detail, like, well, exactly what time was that last drink or exactly, you know, that's, that's ludicrous. Um, nobody does that. So, um, I, I certainly feel for them because I know that, um, you know, with a big Facebook group and a big following for Ryan and, and hoping that he comes home, people look for somebody to blame. It's the number one thing, um, that, that people want, they want a villain to blame so that they can feel better about it and, uh, you know, feel some closure to it. Like, well, it's obviously the roommate or obviously the ex-girlfriend, you know, and it's just that final and it's over and, um, you know, it's clean and, and that's it. Um, but it just, it's not the case. This week's episode is sponsored in part by better help. BetterHelp is a professional, licensed therapy service that is done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. You can also send messages to your counselors anytime, and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who are specialized in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, and family conflicts. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash nowhere. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash nowhere. I think sometimes, and I've learned these, so these are lessons that you sort of, you, you learn as you go, or it comes to you, I suppose. But what happens is, is that people want to know the reason why. Right. So if, if you know that the roommates did it because of this, or you think that it's, if we can explain 
why it happened, then we can look to ourselves and say, oh, okay, there's a sense of relief here. I don't have to worry about this happening to me because I haven't. I'm not with an abusive spouse. I am not with a, you know, a, a cheating partner. I am... You know, I'm not in the drug or alcohol or not in the drug trade, or I don't, you know what I mean? I don't live a vulnerable lifestyle. I don't have to worry about any of those things. So this will not happen to me. Exactly. And people do that in everyday life, not just this. Um, You get, you know, couples that will part ways. And if you sit there and go, oh, if I figure out why, I don't have to worry about what's happening to me because we're not like those people. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so I think that you've got a situation like this. And of course, did they find a villain? Yes, they wanted to, they wanted to blame the roommates, his friend, they wanted to blame the party goers. Sure. Now, you know, again, I don't have a crystal ball that will tell me what the outcome is or what happened that night. Um, And so what I try to do is uh, to remember that I, I can be angry at any point. So if it was the roommates, if it was James, if it was the party goers, I can be mad the day I find out. And my anger will burn as brightly as it did if you had told me and if I accepted it on day one. But I don't have to do that today. Because if I do that today, if I did it from day one, then all my actions and interactions with other people will be placed on something that I don't know if it's truthful or not. Right. I don't want to do that. And I think it would be a poor testament to Ryan and his commitment and his friendships with these people if I automatically blamed them. Because I will tell you, up until that last, uh, that last moment, that last night, the people that Ryan w- was with, he, he honestly believed them to be his friends. And I believe that to be true. Yeah. And so uh, whatever happened that night, um, you know, if, if we were to find out differently, I, I think then we will, we are acknowledging there can be a reality. But I think the least I can do is offer grace because if none of them were involved at all, then what a poor testament to Ryan. Sure. How, how, how do I keep his legacy by, by these people will have lost somebody that they cared about as well or knew, even if it was just the, the party goers, but they would have been cast in such a bad light that um, they've experienced all of those things. And on top of that had to experience an anger that was misplaced. Right. And I think that it's just poor service. So that is what I try to remember is that I can be mad, but I'd really like to know that there's a reason behind it, not just speculation from people who have never been there, did not know our son, did not uh, know the roommates or the party goers or his friends, any of those things. So that is what I try to hold on to, lean into the facts that I know. So that helps me to uh, do the day to day that I need to do. Yeah. And I think that the way that you guys have handled it has been so inspiring. And so um, it's just a real testament to uh, your grace and, I'm, I don't know, you know, you're, this is the third family that I haven't been doing this that long. So I don't know, you know, all the different reactions that there will be to tragedies like this, but you certainly have this, uh, way of, of looking at things that I, I hope others can, um, look at and strive for, because like you said, you know, you can have all the anger in the world and, um, if you don't know for sure, it's just kind of a waste of energy on your part. And it, 
it can really affect these other people too. And it's, um, these are supposed friends of your son. And so, um, assuming that they didn't do anything wrong and this was all just a horrific accident that truly happened to them as well, then, um, that could be a real, a real tragedy if, if you had, a misplaced anger and shown them in a light that was untrue. It, I mean, you can really ruin someone's life. And, and I think Ryan would be disappointed in me. And I think Ryan would yeah. be disappointed with Scott and I together that, that we didn't do it. And selfishly too, when we think about um, that anger, I still have two beautiful daughters at home that need to learn how to navigate through this loss as well. And so how do you, how do you do that? If, if we, are, if we are showing anger all the time, I, I need them to have their own lessons from this and we need to go through it and have an openness and a communication. Uh, and so I, I don't want their life have already been, you know, just changed so vastly that I can't give them back their youth and their innocence. I can't give them back these last three years. Um, I can't, I can't do any of those things for them, but what I can do is, is hopefully not harden their hearts, uh, towards other people. Because I look at of all the, um, people that we have come to know in the last three and a half years, and I feel blessed by them every single day. Not every interaction we've had with people, normally that comes from me, um, is, um, is positive, but I, I, I feel like, cause I, because I have done the most, um, speaking that was sort of the thing that the the role that I was cast in early enough and so I I do bear the brunt and have the weight of some of those things but that is a small price to pay for all the the support and love that we have received from so many people yeah there's absolutely something beautiful to come of these um tragedies and I spoke with um uh, Dr. Taft is a clinical psychologist for Fauna's case. And that's something that we talked about in, in great length was that there's these communities built around these, um, these events that, that kind of, you know, shatter people's lives, even just temporarily, and then turns into something beautiful and can be a purpose for people. And certainly for yourself, um, you're you're so well spoken and you're so able to share these um experiences and feelings and um kind of you know help other people who are going through this it's it certainly seems to me at least from the outside like this was the purpose of that i mean that's kind of a right. a, a bold thing to say but it, it seems like that was the the purpose here I often wonder because, you know, there's certain phrases that before I would have said no problem, but now I find a little bit difficult to say is that, but when someone says to you that, um, you know, there's a reason for everything, mm. I, I really, I, I struggle with that, obviously from, from now I understand the sentiment behind it, sure. but I struggle because I sit there and go, I don't know what the reason is for Ryan not to be here. But I will allow that um, there is a purpose that has come from it. So maybe those are two, again, words that are just so, so similar. Right. But I would prefer to think that there's a purpose, not necessarily that uh, for Ryan, but the purpose will come out that will help other families 
that Scott and I will have changed and grown in a different, a different way. I look around and I look at our friends that we have become so close to not only the ones that we had from here in Beaumont and Edmonton, but also the ones that we have met in BC through this whole tragedy, this engagement from all these, uh, these people on Ryan's site that, that are truly passionate, engaging and have, shared so much light, not just about Ryan, but about other things that have led to searching for other people. And they've spread this goodness to, to other people. And I think, okay, so we're, we're blessed that that bucket is filling. Mm -hmm. I still feel the loss of my son, but um, I don't feel as empty as I was before. And so I think life balances itself out. It gives you some things when it takes so much from you. Right. Oh, I think that's a great way to say it. And, you know, that's something that will continue to hopefully happen. You know, like you said, it'll never feel like it, it did before, but you might have, uh, you know, three quarters of a bucket and, and those, those people you wouldn't have had, had Ryan been right. there. So right, it's a trade off. And um, I wish that Ryan could be there and you could have all those wonderful people in your life as well. Wouldn't that be nice, but that'd be all your wishes come true, right? Well, I think you have to look for the silver linings. I, uh, I and, and that's what we did the very first day that when we, when we ended up there, I mean, Scott and I had, um, you, you know, had savings, but we hadn't planned on going up to a, a ski resort, which is why we didn't go visit Ryan in the first place. Um, and so going up there, you're just thinking, Oh my God, like we're coming at, at peak time. Where are we going to have to, to, where are we going to stay? Like, how long are we here for? What is the cost associated with this? And isn't that horrible that in that moment of tragedy, that is the, the, the logistics you have to think about, but, but there it is, you have to. And I just remember, you know, ding, ding, ding from people over here. We, we're just, we're, I, I don't know if you need it, but we're just, we're sending you a gift card here. Or we're sending you a little bit. And I look at it and go in that moment, it was, it was no longer, a fear. So every little bit we got was gave us the the ability to stay to search for Ryan. Yeah, that's amazing. And I I looked at Scott and, and we sort of made this this decision that we would try to look for the silver linings, the blessings, if if you would, um, because and I and I do believe this. I really do believe this. That if I can't find the blessings in this, then this is just a tragedy. And I refuse to believe that Ryan's life has been anything but a gift to us. It may not have been the length of gift that I would want. I would, if I could change places with Ryan right now, even now I would do that in a heartbeat, but I sure. don't have that option. And so I just, I, I thought he, he is a gift. And if we don't celebrate who he, he, he lived and he was with us until 20 years old, almost 21. And that was a gift in itself. Mm -hmm. And so I never want it to be one tragic day. He was more than March or February 17th. He was so much more than that evening. Absolutely. And I don't want, I want to honor him for that. I want to create a legacy that um, showcases all of his imperfections and the the love that he he gave us. And he's impacted us not only in his lifetime, but also in his absence. Yes. And so many others too, just the reach of, um, you guys in your search for him. And then you continuing that, you know, by helping other families, there's, there's so much more to him and his legacy than this tragedy. 
And right. that one night is just such a small, small, tiny little portion of his life. And it's, it's that uh, the tragedy would be that that's what, you know, everyone thinks his life was about, but that's not, that's not it. And that's why I really wanted to hear. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad we could talk about all the before, you know, that he was jumping in his, in his little jumper at two months old, then that he was, you know, you slept with the lights on the night that he brought him home. Like there's just so many moments before that moment that, that weighs so much more, even though that moment is the moment people will hear about. And maybe that'll be the moment that, um, you know, people that brings people to Ryan's story at the beginning. That doesn't have to be the moments that uh, he's known for. If you could come down and look down at your own funeral, you might be surprised or amazed at how many people you touched and in what way, because you wouldn't have thought that it was at all anything to be remembered. But looking down, and I, and I wish, I guess, I wish that we could just walk through life like we were looking down at our funeral and actually just seeing how much impact that you've had on other people's lives so that you can remember your worth and continue to, to shower that good with other people. I want to share something that Heather wrote on her Facebook page just days after a new search party concluded their search at Sun Peaks during Memorial Day weekend. I continue to be blown away by her ability to express herself in the chaos that is now her life. She inspires me and so many others. Ryan's disappearance is much like a house, decrepit and badly in need of repair. Each room needs to be painted. What Scott and I have been doing for the last three years is going from room to room assessing the damage, but never prioritizing. We stop to apply a coat of paint, but haphazardly and without focus. That is not criticism, but fact. Looking back, the house doesn't look any more completed, but rather half done. Looking at our techniques, we know our search methods are solid, but our approach needs refining. We are so desperate to get it all done that we move from area to area in a hurried attempt. In year three, with the limited times that traveling allows us to come up here, We must be more thoughtful and methodical. We need to paint each room, inspecting the walls for patches before going over with a second coat. Satisfied, then we can move on to the second room. I know everyone still wonders why we continue to come back time and time again. Why not move off the hill? Simply put, I wouldn't know where to go. We remain focused on the facts available to us. Despite a rigorous and ongoing investigation into all theories and possibilities by the RCMP, those initial facts are unchanged. He was here, and now he's gone. Scott and I, as dedicated as we are, do not have now, nor will we ever have, the skill set to investigate a missing person's case. I'm thankful that our local law enforcement are engaged and passionate about Ryan and work every angle to bring him home to us. What we can do to facilitate that is to continue using the facts to search. When something more credible comes in, then rest assured we follow that lead to its natural conclusion. That includes questions of polygraph and interrogations of individuals. It matters little what personal opinions you or I have regarding Ryan's disappearance. The goal remains to search until I am dust or dirt because my son matters. That is what I can do. That is what I will do. 
We have heard all the opinions and speculations, even if they were difficult and painful to hear. We have never shied away from any possibility, but have discussed them in hopes that we can always remain prepared and not panicked. This experience is not one that I would have ever imagined would be my life, yet here I am. I'm doing the best I can, loving my daughters and husband with the privilege of time allowed to me. If there was a better way, believe me, we will learn and grow and adapt. We will not give up or give in because Ryan deserves the chance to come home. We've been asked how our listeners can contribute to the show. So we set up an account with Patreon. Check out the link in our show notes if you're interested in supporting our cause. You can also find it on our website, nowheretobefoundpodcast.com.